Go ahead and invite you to take uh, your Bible tonight and find the book of Revelation. It should be fairly easy to find, the last book of the Bible there. And I uh, just want to reintroduce to you, if I can, um, a couple of folks that helped us lead in worship uh, this evening. First of all, Andy Shirley. Give a shout out to Andy. Did a fantastic job. Grateful for Andy. Andy has a brand new baby girl. Andy was like, like three weeks old, maybe? Two weeks old, so congratulations, beautiful little girl, wife's doing good, grateful for Andy, does uh, help us lead worship at our downtown campus, and then Joe Williams was up here leading, give a shout out to Joe Williams, young guy. Exciting to see these young guys who feel called to ministry and for us to give these guys opportunities to lead, whether it's uh, student ministry or preaching or worship, whatever it may be. Grateful unto God, aren't you, that God is raising up another generation to serve the Lord? Amen. Aren't you grateful for that? Praise the Lord. Amen. And then today, our, our own Josh Harkins, it's his birthday. Give a shout out for his birthday boy back there. How many, Josh, 30 what? Th 30 what? 33, same age as Jesus. Think about that. He's the same age as Jesus. Congratulations, Josh. And then Josh, uh, two, two of his three daughters, it's their birthday today. And so they're just having a birthday celebration. And in fact, his mom's here and his sisters are here, and it's a whole big celebration. So, and we want to celebrate. We're having pizza for your birthday tonight and hot dogs and bread pudding for your little girl's uh, birthday. Okay, good deal. Uh, the book of Revelation was really praying several months ago. As you and I were seeing, if you've been keeping up on social media, and even even the uh, the media has 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 brought attention to it, in that recent months at different colleges and universities, there's been some revival that's broken out, that's went on for hours and days, and 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 college age students just coming before the Lord in a state of brokenness, and then we're actually seeing that we're actually seeing hints of revival, not just on college campuses. But we're seeing it in, in churches across America. And of course, we have been praying, as Pastor David mentioned, we've been praying for revival, just that extraordinary outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And, uh, and so I really felt led that we would study the, the seven letters that Jesus wrote to the churches in Revelation. And so find your Bible there. Revelation chapter 2 is where we kind of begin tonight. Um, now, here's a couple of things we have to keep in mind as we're thinking along the lines of revival. Revival is for Christians, okay? Revival, right? In other words, you have to have vival before you can have revival, right? Does that make sense? And so what that means is, is that there are times in the life of a Christian, in your Christian walk, in my Christian walk, that we... we or tend to wander, and, and our fellowship with the Lord isn't like like it once was, and we and, and we allow things in our life to to cause us to drift away. And so, what are we in need of? We're in need of revival. Now, what happens is when there is this extraordinary outpouring of the Holy Spirit. For the child of God that is, has strayed away a bit under this conviction and the heaviness of the Holy Spirit, you are just drawn back to repair that broken altar, to repair that relationship and fellowship that you have with God. Now, that's what revival looks like. Now, when there is true revival, the outpouring of that 
is what's called an awakening, a spiritual awakening. In these college campuses, one of the ways that we know that it was a true revival is that what happens is, is the lost unbelievers are awakened to God. And what happens is they see something happening in a church, they see something happening in the life of a believer, and they say, you know what? What's going on here? Something, something different. Something's happening here. And then they'll say, you know what? I want some of that. I want what they have. And again, under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, they surrender their life to the Lord Jesus and are saved and are born again. So we're praying for revival, but the, the, uh, the results of a revival is an awakening. awakening. Here's what I think that all of us would agree on. What we are in desperate need of in our country, our nation, is revival among God's people. Amen? And then what we need after that is an awakening, a spiritual awakening. All right. So the book of Revelation is written by the apostle John. John is the only apostle that died of natural causes. We know that after Judas betrayed the Lord, the Bible says he went out and hung himself, but all the other apostles were killed. They were murdered because of their faith. John is the only one who lived to be an old man and died of natural causes. Now, he was beaten. He was burned. He experienced an incredible amount of, of persecution in his life. Ultimately, he was exiled on the island of Patmos. And on that island is where he has this revelation, that we have this book of Revelation. Now, in that revelation, Jesus himself showed up and said, John, get your pen because I need you to dictate some letters to the churches in Asia Minor. Now, these seven churches, by the way, are all found in modern-day Turkey. About eight or nine years ago, I took a group of people, and we toured the seven locations, the seven churches of, of Revelation. Incredible study. I'm thinking, hopefully, over the next few weeks, I might be able to show you some pictures of, of what it looks like today. All right? So the first letter is the letter to the church at Ephesus, right? Dear Ephesus. Well, if you're new to Church of the Island, we stand in the initial reading of the Word of God. So if you'd stand with me, I'm going to read it out loud. You can follow along in your Bibles. We also have the scripture on the screens there. But here's what it says. Revelation chapter 2, beginning in verse number 1, to the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands, I know your works, your toil, your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love that you had at first. Before you're seated, I want to challenge you first with this question tonight. I want you to consider as we examine the text together. Does this letter that Jesus wrote to the church at Ephesus, here's the question, does it apply to you? Does it apply to, you? Does it apply to our church? May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Take your pencil, take your pen as we gather on these Sunday nights just studying the scriptures together. I believe 
that, uh, first of all, think about this. Here's what you need to know about Ephesus. Ephesus of the seven churches Ephesus was the metropolis. It was the largest of the cities. Population of about 250,000 people. Very large city, but extremely pagan. Very, very pagan city. But God was doing a great work there. The apostle Paul planted the church in his second missionary journeys. You know that Paul went on three missionary journeys. He planted the church at Ephesus on his second missionary journey. On his third missionary journey, he stopped there and he spent about three years, A.D. 52, 53, around that time. Then if you know Timothy, we read about 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy. Paul kind of mentored Timothy. Timothy showed up around A.D. 60 and was there at the church. There are other names that you may have heard. If you've read much of the Bible, much of the New Testament, especially the book of Acts, you may recognize, recognize the names Priscilla and Aquila. Well, Priscilla and Aquila, they were a part of the church at Ephesus. Apollos was this great preacher. He was a part of the church. The Bible talks about him. So here's what we know. Very large city, um, very pagan city, but God was doing a great work, and there were great people in the church, and there were miracles that took place in the church. And it's in that context that Jesus writes, and he says, John, here's what I need you to write. Dear church, number one, three things that Jesus says to the church at Ephesus. Number one, dear church, you're doing a lot of great things Church, you're doing a lot of great things. And he says that in verse number two. Look at it. I know your works, your toil, your patient endurance. That word toil is the Greek word kopos. It's where we get our word copious. If someone takes copious notes, for example, that means extensive, right? Extensive notes. Jesus is saying, listen, church, you're busy. You're working hard. You're toiling. Literally, it means in this context, painful labor. In other words, this church was busy. They were working hard. Their church calendar was full of all kinds of activities and ministries and things they were doing. They were toiling, and Jesus is commending them. He says, dear church, you're doing a lot of great things. You're working. You're toiling. He goes on to say, and your patient endurance. In other words, hey, you didn't quit. You weren't quitting. I mean, you continue to serve, and you continue to serve, and you continue to serve. So he's, he's commending them. He says, number one, they were working hard for the Lord. Number two, they were standing against sin because he goes on to say in verse number two, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil. In other words, they were standing against sin. They did not allow people in the church to just openly just rebel against God and sin. And one of the reasons we know that, if you want to skip down to verse number six, it actually says this in verse six, yet this I do have for you. You hate the work of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Now, what does that mean? Well, scholars tell us, commentaries tell us that this, the Nicolaitans were a part of the group of Nicholas of Antioch. If you read about, you do read about him in Acts chapter 6, a part of the early church. He was one of those early deacons of the church. Well, he started off really good, but somehow along the way, he kind of went off the rails, kind of went off the deep end. And what he started teaching and, and allowing was sin in the church allowed the church and Christians to compromise literally immorality 
in the church. And Jesus says, listen, here's what I have for you. You, you hate those Nicolaitans the, the way I hate them. Because listen, we're not allowing, we're never to compromise and be like the world, especially when it comes to sin and what God says is right and what God says is wrong. And so Jesus commends the church. Hey, hey, you're standing against evil. You're, you're working hard for the Lord. Number three, you're practicing spiritual discernment. He goes on to say in verse number two, and have tested those who call themselves apostles and are or not and found them false. And so there were, because the church was really growing, dynamic things were happening in the church. People were showing up and claiming to be apostles, wanting to preach and wanting to teach. And here's what Jesus says, hey, you've done a great job protecting the church, calling, testing those who say they were apostles, discovering they truly were not, and then even what they were teaching and what they were doing. And friend, that's what we have to do today as the church. We have to protect the teaching, the doctrine, the health of the churches, the theology of the church. There's a couple of scriptures I want you to look at here. First of all, in uh, 1 John chapter 4, beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, for many false prophets have gone out of the world. Sometimes today somebody will send you a, a Facebook link and say, hey, watch this preacher or watch this video or they'll send you a YouTube link. Hey, you need to check this, this prophecy out or this teaching out. And listen, just because someone sends that to you that you might have respect for or you like doesn't mean that it's solid teaching. We need, the Bible says, we need to test the spirits. Let me give you one more verse. In fact, I believe that every Christian ought to know this verse, Acts chapter 17, verse 11. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica, and they received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. When Pastor David is up here, when I'm up here, when you're in a life group, listen, just because we teach you the word, let me tell you what I challenge you. Every time I teach, you ought to study the scriptures. You ought to examine the scriptures, lay the scriptures aside, what I'm saying and what I'm teaching and what I'm sharing. There is so much false teaching, false doctrine out there. And so Jesus commends the church. He says, hey, hey, church. You're doing great. You're working hard. Your calendar's busy. You're standing against evil. You're testing the spirits. He goes on to say, and, uh, and there, you're enduring hardship in his name. Look at verse number three. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake. Remember I said to you early, earlier that Ephesus, large city, but very pagan, very pagan city. There was on the hillside in um, the city of Ephesus, by the way, one of the seven wonders of the world. It's called the Temple of Artemis. That's, that's what the Greeks called it. The Romans called it the Temple of Diana. You may have heard of it. Uh, there's only remnants of it that remain, but archaeologists know what it looked like. In fact, this is, a, this is kind of a, a picture of it. Let me describe it for you. This, this truly, ar archaeologists have, have, can tell us exactly about this, about this thing, and it was written about even in the first century. It was over 100,000 square feet, 100 marble 
columns that were 55 feet tall. We're getting ready to build a pretty big pavilion, but it's got nothing, nothing on this right here, the temple of Artemis, okay? And so because of this pagan worship, this is where people went. This is what people did. So Paul shows up on the scene, starts preaching and sharing the gospel. Miracles start taking place. And listen, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people come to faith in Christ. Acts chapter 19, we don't have time to read it tonight. You ought to read it and study it sometime this week. But in Acts chapter 19, the apostle Paul's preaching at an amphitheater. And I mean, there are so many people that are forsaking the cult worship and coming to faith in Christ and rejecting that paganism that, listen, a, a literal, literal riot broke out during Paul's preaching and teaching in Ephesus. And uh, it's a great, great read. But the point is they were suffer, suffering, these Christians in Ephesus were suffering great persecution, great persecution. So again, here's what Jesus does. Dear church, you're working hard. There's a lot, there's, you're doing a lot of great things. You're working hard. You're defending the faith. You're protecting the theology. You're testing the spirits. Hey, and I know that you have endured hardship in my name. Dear church, you're doing a lot of great things. But, dear church, you're missing the greatest thing. You're missing the greatest thing. And he tells us that in verse number four. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love that you had at first. You ought to underline that word abandoned. It means to forsake. It means to lay aside. The Lord says, hey, there's a lot of things that you're doing great. You're doing a lot of great things. But the greatest thing, the most important thing, the most critical thing you're missing. You've laid aside. Now, what would that be? Well, it's the greatest command. If you remember back in Matthew, he was asked, they asked the Lord Jesus, what is the first and the greatest commandment, right? Matthew chapter 22, verse 36, teacher, what is the great command of all the laws, of all the commandments, what's number one, what's the greatest? And he says to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and this is the great and first commandment. I mean, the number one thing, the most critical, critical thing is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. And the Lord says, church, you're doing a lot of good things, but the most important thing is what you're missing. And there was a time that you loved me, and you loved me with passion and zeal and enthusiasm, but somehow along the way, you've laid it aside. The most important, the most critical thing and that happens in churches, by the way. It happens in lives of Christians. We, what, what happens is we just allow some things to, to take that number one place. Let me give you a verse of Scripture. Colossians. Colossians chapter 1, verse 18. He, that is Christ, is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be, say the word, preeminent, number one. So what happens in your life and my life is that we just allow things to take number one place. Sometimes it's sports. 
Maybe we have a, a kid that plays a particular kind of sport, and we just allow sports to take priority. You know, there was a time that, that our relationship with the Lord was number one, but then we allowed sports to take that place. Uh, if it's not sports, sometimes it's, a, it's business, maybe a new job, or maybe this pursuit of our, our, our careers, but we allow our work to be number one, to take the place of our fellowship, our relationship with the Lord. Sometimes it's work. Sometimes it's, it's the pursuit of money and, and wealth. And Jesus said, hey, you can't, you can't serve two masters, right? You can't serve both God and money. And, and sometimes it's a hobby. Sometimes we, we allow a hobby to take that number one place in our life. All of these are good things, by the way. They're all good and they're all from God. Sometimes a relationship, a boyfriend, girlfriend, a spouse, even a child, we just allow that relationship to be more important to us than our relationship to the Lord. I think it's interesting if you go back to this same Revelation chapter 2, the very first verse says this, to the angel of the church in Ephesus right? In other words, he's writing to the messenger. Who is the messenger at the church? Who's going to get the letter and read the letter to the church? The pastor. The pastor is. So here's what I absolutely guarantee you. That around this time, when this letter was delivered, if you were to say to that pastor of the church at Ephesus, Pastor, does your church, do those people in that church, do they love Jesus? You know what I promise you that pastor said? Oh, yeah. Oh, they love, they love the Lord. They love him. If you were to ask me, do you think those folks there at Church of the Island, you think they love the Lord? I'd say, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Now, let's, let's, let's get a little bit close on this one because I don't want you to miss this. This is probably the most important. He's not saying that they don't love the Lord anymore. What he's saying is you don't love me like you used to. You don't love me like you used to. When you read scholars and commentaries, it it's almost describes kind of a, a honeymoon kind of love. When you first got married, and man, there's a lot of emotion, there's a lot of romance. That, but your love over time, hopefully your love grows deeper, but you still need the emotion. The emotion is important. And so we, we think about, let me just ask you this. Let me ask you this question tonight. Let me just put it this way. Maybe the most important question I, I could ask you tonight. Has there ever been a time in your relationship with the Lord in which you were closer than you are right now? Just be honest. Was there a time that you were closer to the Lord than you are right now? If you say, oh, yeah, Pastor, there was a time, I mean, we walked, we were like this. And Well, he didn't move as you. Maybe what you need is revival. And you've allowed somehow something in your life to take that first place. Here's what he says. Dear church, you're doing a lot of great things, but you're missing the greatest thing. But then he says, dear church, here's the prescription. If you'll be honest and say, you know what? I'm not, I'm not where I need to be. I'm not where I was. I need revival, personal revival, or my church needs revival. Jesus gives us the prescription. Verse number five, the first thing he does in verse number five, the very first thing, uh, prescription number one, look at that very first word in verse five, remember. You ought to underline that, remember. He says, remember. Remember what it was like. R remember not only what it was like when it was good, but he also wants you to remember where or how you got off track. 
Was it the new job? Was it the new relationship? Was it the hobby? Was it the sports? What, what, what was it that caused it? Was it COVID? Was COVID the cause of that's where you began to not just be as faithful or walking with the Lord that you were? Well, remember, I do most of my counseling on Thursdays, and I would tell you that most every Thursday I have a couple. Sometimes they've been married a short time. Sometimes they've been married for decades. But they'll come in and they say, well, I just don't, I don't love him like I used to. I don't love her. Where did it go wrong? Where did it begin to go off track? Remember what it was like. Then he goes on to say, what does he say? Re remember, therefore, where you have fallen and then what? Repent, right? As a matter of fact, he actually uses that word repent two times in that verse. Remember, therefore, from where you've fallen, repent. Do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. The, to repent means to change your mind. It means to, first of all, agree with God you're not where you're supposed to be. You're not where you were. You're not where you want to be. So you need to agree to God, yes, I've wandered. And then there's a change of mind. I'm not going to remain here. I'm going to confess that I'm not where I was and I've allowed this sin in my life, this callousness maybe in my faith. And you turn from that. Remember, repent, and then repeat. Because he goes on, and what does he say? He says, do the things that you did at first. Do the things you did at first. So for couples, I say, hey, what, 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 did, you, what did you do? Go to the same places. For you and I as Christians, as believers, there was a time, listen, listen, when I first became a, a Christian and when I was at my, probably my height of my zeal and my enthusiasm for the Lord, listen, I couldn't wait to spend time with God. Couldn't wait to spend time in his word, to experience Jesus in his word. I love to pray. I love to just come before the Lord and talk to the Lord, and I'd be quiet before the Lord, and I'd, I'd listen for that still, small voice and for his spirit to, to speak to my spirit. I mean, when I was closest with the Lord, I was walking in worship, my personal worship, my playlist, riding down the road, or maybe early in the morning, I just would worship and I would sing. And, and at times, listen, I would weep before the Lord, especially as I thought about friends and family members who didn't, didn't know the Lord. I'd weep over them as I'd pray for them. And I'd share my faith. And I'd invite people to church. My friends, my co-workers, I'd invite them. He says, do the, things you, do the things you used to do. And then ultimately, this last thing that he says is, he says, respond quickly. Because in the end of that verse, if, you, if not, I will come to you and I will remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. We're to respond. When we recognize this conviction of the Spirit, we're not where we're supposed to be, and the Lord Jesus is calling us out on it, we need to act. We need to remember. We need to repent. We need to repeat. That's what we do in order to be where we need to be in our relationship with Him. And so I just want to challenge you tonight. Has there, was there been a time? 
And what's keeping you? What's keeping you from repairing that broken altar in your relationship with him? Let's pray together. Would you bow your head for just a moment? I'm going to ask our worship team to come. And, and I'm not going to embarrass you. You, you know, if, you, if you've been here before, you know that we don't do that. That's not how we do things at Church of the Island. But here's what I do want to do. I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you tonight. So let's just do this. Every head bowed, every eye closed, nobody looking around. Let me ask this question. Would you be honest enough to say, Alan, I'm going to ask you to pray for me. Because, Alan, I want to admit I'm not where I need to be in my relationship and my fellowship with the Lord. Alan, would you pray for me? Because I, I'm admitting I'm not where I, I need to be and where I was. Would you just lift your hand up and hold it up for a minute just so I can pray for you? Just hold your hand up. Thank you for being honest. Thank you for that. You can put your hand down. Thank you again for being, just being honest. Oh, there was a time, you know, when you prayed, there was so much sincerity and authenticity. And now some, sometimes we pray, it's just blah, 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 in Jesus' name, amen. And so it's our prayer, it's our time in Scripture, it's our worship, it's being with God's people. And so I want to challenge you tonight. In fact, I'm going to ask Pastor David to come and, and stand here and He'd love to pray with you, pray for you. The altar is open. We, we pulled out the, the altar, and it's here, and you could come. You don't have to pray with Pastor, Pastor David if you don't want to. You could just come and kneel and pray. I do believe, honestly, though, there's something about, if you physically can, there's something about kneeling before the Lord and saying, I'm sorry. I, I, I confess, Lord. I confess the sin. I've somehow allowed this other thing to take your number one place. So I'm confessing that to you. And right now, by faith, I'm asking for you to rule and reign in my life again. Lord, give me a hunger. Give me a, give me a desire, Lord, for you. A greater hunger, a greater desire for you and your word and your people. Oh, the Lord loves to answer that prayer. Let's stand together as I lead us in prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray that in these next moments you're giving us the opportunity to respond. And, and Lord, there's some right there where they are. They can repair that, that altar with you. They can repair that fellowship with you. Lord, some are going to feel led even as I'm praying, maybe just to come and kneel at this altar. But I pray, Lord, in these next moments for a, a repentance a return, a revival, dear Lord. Hear us as we sing to you. Hear us as we cry out to you in these next moments. In Jesus' name, amen. The altar is open. This past